And today we're going to talk about how to grow spiritually. Last week, we talked about the value and the benefit of growing spiritually. I mean, the value and benefit is, is that we're no longer little children, that we grow up and we can embrace the inheritance, the inheritance of God. And so our anchor verse last week becomes like our, our platform for shooting off for this week. And Paul's talking to these Galatian believers, they're Christians, and they're thinking about dabbling back, going under the law and under the old covenant. And he's saying, man, that is not the way to go. And so he says this. He says, think of it like this. So he begins to say, Galatians 4.1, think of it like this. He said, if a father dies and leaves an inheritance for young children, they're not much better off than what? Slaves until they what? Grow up. You can say it boldly. Until they grow up. Until they grow up. And the rest of the sentence is so powerful. Even though, even though they actually own everything the father had. Think about that. We understand that, don't we? You know, we're in this scenario, it's like there's a, a father who has plenty and, and he's died with these little kids. They don't know how to manage and handle it. And so they have benefactors and trustees and overseers over their lives and they just have to be told what to do even though they're actually the rich people it's not the 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 overseers that have anything it's the kids but they don't get the full benefit of that until they grow up and so this inheritance is available to us actually in Ephesians uh, Paul actually says this too I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened that you might know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints I, I love how God's always throwing on adverbs and, and adjectives to everything. It's not just enough. It's more than enough. It's, 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 it's ever-increasing. It's always, it's always bigger. I mean, it would be fine if it was just enough, but he's always more than enough. He's always exceedingly abundantly above. He's always, he's always so much bigger. And so we see that. Now, that's not just something made up. That's what the Scripture teaches. If we, if we spent some time looking through the Scriptures, we would find that the Scripture tells us that we are heirs of God, and co-heirs or joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I think that's Romans 8, 17, that we are co-heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So what's, what's he saying? He's saying we have an inheritance, that an heir, and that word may not come out of my mouth real clearly, but it's H-E-I-R, an heir, has an inheritance. And so the Father has this inheritance for us, but we've got to grow up in order to receive it. But we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus. See, we totally get the Jesus side of it. I do too. It makes total sense that Jesus is an heir of God. But he says we're a joint heir, co-heir with him. Not a sub-heir even. Isn't that interesting thing about it? Not a sub-heir. We're a co-heir with Jesus. It's mind-blowing. Jesus tells the people in, I think it's Matthew 28, 17, he says this. It's either 28, 17 or 28, 7. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Now, go therefore... And he sends us out into the whole world. Now, it's implied there that we have authority too. I mean, the scripture wouldn't make a lot of sense if it says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. You all ain't got nothing. But go out there and make a difference in the world. No, he's saying, I have it. If I have it, you have it. And then in, in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, there's an amazing passage, which totally makes sense to us. It says that God has raised up Jesus and seated at his right hand, far above, there, there's those words again, far above, all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, 
any name that can be named in this life or the life to come. When we read that, we say, that makes sense. Jesus totally deserving of all that. Absolutely. And what God is saying is he's saying this. Let me get, I'm trying to make this clear to you. He's saying, Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of everything. He's Lord of everything. He's Lord of all forever. That's why he's trying to push it, that we get this. And then what's mind-blowing is Ephesians chapter 2. And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Where's Jesus seated? Far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, any name that can be named, now in this life and in the life to come. And we've been raised up with him. Now, the, the trouble is, for me, you, for all of us, we're all in the same boat here, is we got to think like a partner, like a, an adult, not like a child. We live in a farm community, and we should understand this, because little kids who are in the farm family, they're, they're driving combines and tractors, you know, pre-teen years. You know, they're out there making it happen. And the parents tell them what to do. But one day, just like we talk about spiritually, they come up alongside mom and dad, and they look out at the enterprise, and they're, they're co-laborers with mom and dad now. They're not just told what to do and go here and go do that. They're now part of the enterprise. But we're supposed to be growing up, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, where we come up by Jesus, and we look out, and we see this, this task that's before us, the greatest enterprise on planet Earth, the kingdom of God, the advancing of the kingdom of God, the greatest enterprise on the planet of Earth. He's called us into it. And he says, we're part of that. And so all this authority has been given to us, and we've been raised up with him because we've got some stuff to do. And we need to operate in authority. But we don't operate in authority until we grow up. So Paul's telling these Galatian believers, hey, man, you know, don't go back under the law. Don't go back under the old covenant. There's a new and better covenant established upon better promises, established upon Jesus Christ. His blood cries out, there's a better covenant. And he says, this is what I want you to be brought into, but you don't get to experience it in all of its fullness until you grow up. And so there's such value in growing up. So then we can get to a point where we say, okay, Tracy, you know, you've sold me on that, but, you know, how are we going to do that? Well, in Colossians 1.10, which was our closing verse last week, it says, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. First of all, right there, we know we're talking about a mature believer. Isn't that true? I mean, you can read that verse, they were talking about mature believers. Even the fruit example, brand new uh, fruit trees don't bear any fruit. They have to mature. They have to go through a maturation process till they can actually bear fruit. And this person is bearing good fruit. They're living in a way that pleases the Lord in everything. And then he says this, all the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. The more you understand God, the more you get to know God. People in the world don't understand God. Most Christians don't understand God. He, he reveals himself to us to understand if we just will. We get little snippets of God. You know, like, like say the only passage you ever read about God is his judgment coming on a nation. And you go, wow, this guy's like angry, hateful, mean, bad stuff. Or then you, you see this incredible, in the New Testament, some incredible act, or, and in the Old Testament, of grace and mercy and abundance and love and long-suffering. If that's your only snapshot, you get this, well, God must be this marshmallow of love, and uh, he's so much more than that. We, we need to know all about God, so we're going to grow as we get to know God better and better. In Ephesians 1.17, Paul saying, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus, the glorious Father, that he will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will what? Know him better so that you may know him better. You and I need to know God better. We need to know him better. 
And so I want to encourage y'all, wherever you're at in the process of understanding God, we can keep growing. If you've been sitting in church for 50 years, you can keep growing. In fact, I figured this out. People who are 50 years old in the Lord who have been growing want to keep growing. They're reading, they're listening, they're praying, they're, they're applying, they want to grow. They don't want to just coast along, they want to grow in the things of God. So when we look at the scriptures, we see if we're going to grow, if we're going to know God better and better, there's two things, actually one thing that breaks down into two parts. There's one thing that we see over and over and over, and that is that we need the word of God to grow. We need the word of God. Now the word of God is twofold. First of all, it's the scripture. The Bible says that all scripture, the word of God, is inspired and breathed by God. So we have the scripture. It is the, the word of God. But we also know this from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, that Jesus is identified as the Word. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, it's, the, it's a name. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. So if it's our first time reading the Bible, we'd say, who's this Word person? And we could keep reading on, and then we'd find in verse 14, and the Word became flesh, became a human being, and dwelt among us, and we beheld the one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. All of a sudden we realize that, oh, this word who was God, is God, wrapped himself in a human body, this has got to be Jesus. We know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so we see that Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus begins to reveal the Father because he is God in human flesh. And so he begins to reveal the Father, he begins to reveal how God operates. If you want to know how God operates, just watch Jesus. There's a wonderful theology about how to do Christianity by following Jesus. And so we start following Jesus around. So I believe the scriptures are a place to start. We go to the word of God. We start seeing this revealed revelation of God here. And then, but this revelation of the word is going to take us somewhere. It's going to lead us somewhere. If you follow something, you're going to end up wherever they end up. That's just what happens. So if you, if you follow this word, where's the word taking us? Well... Jesus tells us about that in John chapter 5. He's talking to very dedicated religious people who have a passion for their religion. They have a passion for God. But he says to them, he says, you study the scriptures diligently. No problem with that. You study the scriptures diligently because you think, you think that in them, in the scriptures, you have eternal life. But they don't have eternal life in the scriptures. If we stopped right there, we think, wow, Jesus doesn't like the scriptures. No, Jesus loved the scriptures. The Holy Spirit loves the scriptures. The Holy Spirit breathed the scriptures. They're the revealed will of God. He said, you're studying the scriptures because you think that in the scriptures you have eternal life. But, see, if we follow the scripture, here's where it's going to take us. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Jesus said they testify about me. And yet you refuse to come to me to get life. Jesus is the source of life. Now, the Bible's not the source of life in the purest sense. The Bible is a wonderful source to lead us to Jesus. Now, in case you're confused, I love the Bible. I love the scriptures, so don't get, I don't think Tracy likes the Bible. I love the Bible. I love the scriptures. But man, oh man, oh man, do I love where those scriptures take me. They take me to Jesus. Woo! They take me to Jesus. Yeah. And so when they take me to Jesus, I find life. For Jesus said this, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest measure. If they could have had the fullest measure by just the scriptures, he wouldn't have had to come. If they could have had life just by the scriptures, they wouldn't have had to come. 
Jesus could have stayed in the glory, could have stayed as the word, but he clothed himself in human flesh because these verses lead us to Jesus. They take us to Jesus. Please don't make a sidetrack and think you can get around Jesus. You're not going to get around him. He's Lord of all. He's above everything. So we can't get around Jesus. So the, the word actually is two things. It's the, the revealed will of God in Scripture, and then it's Jesus himself. So we start getting this word, and we start off as babies. 1 Peter 2, 2 through 3. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk. And I like that translation, but I like how the King James, the Young's Literal, and others bring in it. You must crave the pure spiritual milk of the word. Because it's, it's the word we're talking about. The pure spiritual milk of the word. So that you can grow into a full experience of salvation. We get confused and think, well, I'm born again, so I got it all. When you're born again, you have all the right stuff in you. You have eternal life. You're going to heaven. You can remain a baby Christian all of your life if you want to, and you can die to go to heaven, but there is more. I had somebody tell me one time, we were talking about the Holy Spirit, and they said, so you think you can get more of the Holy Spirit? I said, all I know is this. The Bible says that we are to be filled to the measure of the fullness of Christ. If there's only one filling and one measure, then we already have it. I wouldn't tell somebody you can be filled to the fullness of the measure of Christ if that's the only fullness I can get. So we can go after more of God. We see the people in Acts chapter 2, it's shaken, the power of the Holy Spirit comes. This happened again in Acts chapter 4. They haven't given up going after God, the power of God. And so we, we have this full experience of salvation. You know somebody who's experiencing their the joy of the Lord and salvation on a better level or worse level than you are. Why? You're both born again. You're both going to heaven because there's a full experience as we begin to feed on the word of God. And we should cry out for this nourishment, the scripture says, now that we have tasted that the Lord is good or kind or depend upon your translation, we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I know this when I taste something that's good. Two things. One, I want more of it. True? We were in the Cheesecake Factory this week. We, we, we rarely, honestly, I know you look at me and say, he's lying, I'm not lying. We rarely get the dessert, okay? But this day, we split a meal, and I said, let's get a dessert. And, of course, if you've ever been to Cheesecake Factory, it's a long list of stuff. And I said, what do you recommend for the ladies? She said, and I've eaten plenty of them, trust me, I just don't eat it every time. And she said, I recommend the Cinnabon Cheesecake. I said, well, you got my attention right there with Cinnabon and cheesecake in the same word. And so she said, you get that, and we're going to be best friends for life. I have a new best friend. And so when I tasted that, it was really, really good. And there's two things. One, I don't want to share any with her. No, that's not true. We did, we did share. One thing is I know I like it, and I want to take another bite. If you've ever tasted something that's good, you want more of it. In fact, sometimes your need for more of it ends long before your desire for more of it ends. You know what I'm saying? And that's a problem in the natural realm, but not a problem in the spiritual realm. You can keep desiring more of God. The second thing is I want to share it with someone. I want to tell someone, you, you need to try this. It's funny because we're a great evangelist on about anything other than Jesus, you know. 
If I came and said, oh, that Cinnabon cheesecake was awesome, you'd say, I don't like cheesecake. Well, you'll like this cheesecake. I hate Cinnabon. I don't care. You put Cinnabon cheesecake together, you're going to love this. You're going to want this. I won't give up. I'm going for the sale. I'm saying, I'm not, I don't have stock in Cheesecake Factory. I'm just telling you, you're going to like this. You know, we want to, when it's something we like, we want more of it, and we want to share it with people. We want to share it. You all are great evangelists. When you have your favorite laundry detergent, you go evangelize for it. You do. Your favorite restaurant, your favorite whatever, we evangelize, we tell people. And they can argue with us. We'll say, no, this is, well, I'm using the best detergent ever. No, you're not. Not unless you're using my detergent, because my detergent is the best. You're going to push that because there's something in us that when we like something, we want more of it and we want to share it with people. And so the word of God should come to us and we should want more of it. I want more. I want to crave. I crave the, the sincere milk of the word. I cry out for its nourishment so I can experience the fullness of my salvation. And so we look at this and we do realize there is a time that we get weaned off of milk. And the time we should probably be weaned off of cheesecake, but off of <laughs> milk. We're going to get weaned off of that. We looked at this verse last week, but I want to look at it again. It's 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. And I know this is kind of teachy, so, so stay awake with me, okay? Are you here? And if you do fall asleep, don't snore, okay? I mean, just don't snore if you do fall asleep, okay? 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. And I, brothers and sisters, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but only as fleshly. I want to remind you again, these are Christians, because he called them brothers and sisters. I can only speak to you as fleshly people. I can speak to you as infants in Christ. So he is saying you're in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. They're heaven bound. I gave you milk to drink. So I would say it would be the milk of the word, the milk of, of Christian teachings. I didn't give you solid food, for you were not yet able to consume it. But even now you are not yet able, for you're still what? Fleshly, carnal, worldly. For since there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like ordinary people? When there's jealousy and when there's strife, which is conflict, and I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like you, you don't like me, that's, that's childish, okay? That's childish. God said, let's grow up. Now, I get that we're not all going to be best friends and want a vacation together, but we should love one another. We, we understand that. Darlene's from a big family. There's 15 of them. You're not close personal friends with 14 other siblings. There will be pockets that hang together and love each other and do things together. It doesn't mean that the others don't love one another. The same way in the, the body of Christ, too. Everybody's not going to be best friends, but we should learn to love one another. And he says, you're walking like ordinary people. I want you to know, I don't want to be ordinary. You shouldn't be ordinary. We got the right stuff in us. We have Jesus in us. The one who's above all, through all, in all, over all, forever. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We are to live above ordinary. And so I want to challenge us to do that. But what happens is, if we begin to think like children, we say, well, I just don't know if that would be possible. You know, I don't know if, if I could. You know, you just don't know my background, where I came from, all this. Your background can get shifted by being born again. If anyone is in Christ, their new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. And so we, as we mature, we begin to learn, how do I deal with my past? How do I deal with my past? If you're still stuck, if you're my age and you're still stuck that somebody bullied you in third grade, I'm serious about this. I am sure it was awful. I'm sure it was horrible. And I'm not making light of it. But I do want to say this. Grow up. Grow up. You're letting something that happened 40-some years ago still hold you back? 
That's not adulthood. That's childish. So God's calling us to grow up. So let's not be ordinary people. Let's grow up, go up, be everything God's called us to be. Now, again, we always circle back to, okay, I'm still buying into all this, but how? I get the dietary things, baby milk, baby food, you know, move up to finally I'm eating meat and potatoes in Jesus, but how? Well, we're going to look at that. Here is the critical linchpin of it all. If you don't do this, it all fails. That's how important this is. I want you to hear this. If you don't do what I'm getting ready to teach you right now, it all fails. It all falls apart. It will not work. You will not grow up. Okay? That's how serious this is. It's found in James chapter 1, 21 through 25. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Prevalent means widespread and everywhere. I'll probably teach a message on this. Evil's not what we think it is. We think of evil as, you know, some demonic, sadistic, crazy-looking person that, you know, is demented. But evil is actually believing differently than God believes. You may have a neighbor that's the sweetest, kindest, most wonderful person you've ever met, but if they think differently about how to do life than God does, that's evil. The, the people who gave the reports in Moses is moving into the promised land. Twelve people went out to spy out the land. I'm telling you, they sent out twelve of the best of the best. They sent out people of integrity and character. They sent out quality people out of the tribes. They went to spy out the land. They came back, and ten spies gave a, a factual report about the, the land, but their report became evil when they said, we're not able to take the land. God said they gave an evil report. Two of the people said, we are more than able let us go up at once and possess the land, for our God will deliver it into our hands. That was the message of God. When they disagreed with God, that became evil. So get out of your mind that evil person has to look a certain way. And, and we're acting evilly when we say, I'm not going to obey God or follow God or believe God. I'm going to believe my own thing. And so that's evil. Okay, anyway, moving on. So, Get rid of all moral filth and evil that's so prevalent. By the way, it was prevalent in the day of James. We say all the time, you hear me talking about this all the time, oh man, the world's never been this awful. Yes, it has. It's been this awful since the fall. And uh, you, you may be no noticing it more, it may be affecting your life more. The world's always been evil. You say, well, people are different today. I, I want to make this point. People are not different today. They wear different clothes. We have different modes of transportation. We have different technology, but the heart of a human being has not changed. So people aren't different, and there's always been a problem here. And then it says, instead of getting caught up in the moral filth and evil that's so prevalent and widespread, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can what? Save you. Now, we think in church terms of being saved, we think of salvation, having eternal life, and that's a great definition of it, but it's bigger than that. Haven't you ever said, Oh my goodness, that advice you gave me saved me from fill in the blank. I was getting ready to invest in that, and you said, don't do that, that's not going to work, and I didn't. And oh my goodness, that whole stock went flat, people lost their money, you saved me. So the word of God will save you from all kinds of stuff. It will save you from all kinds of things, all kinds of heartache, all kinds of self-inflicted wounds. When we say, hold it, I'm going to humbly accept the word of God. Now, I want you to know what that means. Here's the way I want to do life. 
here's how I want to think, how I want to live, how I want to behave, how I want to process the direction I want my life to go. Then all of a sudden I read the Word of God, and it says this way is not the correct way. And now what I have to do is I have to humbly put my way down and say, not my will, but thy will be done. And so I humbly accept the Word of God, and when we do that, it'll feel like it's probably killing you because you're wanting to do your own thing like everybody wants to. And you're saying no to your own way and yes to God's way, but it will end up saving you. It will save you from all kinds of heartache. But we have to believe that God has our best intentions in mind, and he does. Let's read on. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. There's the key. Don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. And I just always give some kind of illustration at this point. If I came up and said, hey, next, for the next six weeks, we're going we're to study how to share your faith and make a difference in the world around us. And you said to yourself, I have read six books on that. I have taught classes on that. I have gone to training out of Billy Graham's facility to learn how to win souls and, and how to share my faith. I've, done, I've, I've written a curriculum on it. And then I ask you, how often do you share your faith? And you say, hardly ever to never. Then I know this, you don't know that information. You have it intellectually, but you don't have it in application. To the Jewish people, hearing and doing was connected together. They were one and the same. But here we have to learn to the Greek mind that, hey, I've heard it, but I don't really know it until I do it. So you do need another six-week uh, series on this because you're not doing it. It says, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, I'm not joking about this. I know you hear me talk about this on occasion, but it's a wonderful example of this. And uh, for those who are listening online and haven't seen me, I mean, they might think, gosh, this guy must be 700 pounds or something. But I, I think, I'm not joking about this, I think I'm trim. Because I look in the mirror. But then I walk away and forget what manner of man I am. Because then I eat a piece of cheesecake. Because I know I'm trim. Okay? It's weird, but that, that's a principle that happens spiritually. We look in the mirror, we see ourselves, we say, you need some work. But then we walk away and we forget about it. We walk away and forget about it. We think, I'm, I'm fine. And that happens spiritually. We, we look at the mirror of God's word. We hear it. We say, oh, man, I need to really deal with that. But then we walk away and we forget all about it and we don't do anything with it. That stagnates us. Actually, that stagnates. It keeps us from growing. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, this is the word of God, the word of God gives freedom. It doesn't steal life from us. It gives life to us. And whoever looks intently into it. Now, intently doesn't have to mean like with such intensity you never, you never do anything else. But you're intentional about it. You have intentionality. Some of you have, as I have done before many times, gone through Bible studies. I read through the Bible. You know, last time I read through the Bible, I, there's a wonderful program on the computer that would send me a thing every day. Here's your daily Bible reading. And I would read that. And I would think over the questions and ponder that. It was intentional. I wasn't doing it 10 hours a day, but it was intentional. If you're intentional about looking at the perfect law and continue to be intentional, not forgetting what you've heard, but doing it, the people who do that, they will be blessed in what they do. I think the King James says you'll be blessed in all your deeds. Who doesn't want to be blessed in what they do? Who doesn't want to be blessed in all their deeds? Here's the method for it. We see the word and we do it. It's easy to understand. It's harder to do, but it's not 
impossible at all, but here it is. Hear God's word, do God's word. 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 Learn God's word, put it into practice. Learn something, put it into practice. There's the linchpin that keeps it all together is application. We have to apply the word of God. As you apply the word of God, you begin to grow. It's true of anything. We send our little kids off to school, and they start off with very basic math. And if they keep being intentional about math, one day they're sitting in an algebra class. They couldn't have done that in first grade, but they are now because they just kept growing. And the weird thing is they didn't really notice they were growing that much because it just happens kind of slowly. And the same thing happens spiritually. Just keep applying yourself, and you will keep growing. And you'll be blessed in all you do. Hear God's word, do God's word. Now, you ready for some tougher stuff? Yes, one person. Praise God. No, I can't take any more. Yes, okay, here's some tougher stuff. Here's the purpose that the word comes to perform. So man up, woman up. Here we go. Paul's talking to Timothy. Timothy has, or Paul has two people in the New Testament that are apprentices of his, Timothy and Titus. And he probably had lots more, but those two get some space in the New Testament. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, it says, all scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired by God. It's useful. And then it's going to tell what it's useful for. The word of God is useful for teaching. We're all okay with that, right? The word of God's useful for rebuking. Ah, you know, ah, ah, don't want that. The word of God's good for correcting. That's okay as long as it's done gently. And training in righteousness. But the word has all four of those aspects to it. It has teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We're going to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, nobody likes to be rebuked. A rebuke is a reprimand. It's a a harsh, you know, reprimand for somebody's behavior that's wrong. Most of the time, rebukes come because you've had repeated bad behavior over and over and over and over and over. I mean... Correction will come before rebuke. And if you've been corrected so many times, finally somebody probably will get upset and like say, hey, no more of this. So it's a harsh reprimand where correction is just an adjustment in something you're doing. It's usually, hey, you're not getting this right. And okay, I get it. Whether it's school, work, wherever, we can take correction. I found out that we can submit somewhat to the word of God because it seems to happen in a bigger setting that's more private. You know what I'm saying? So if the word of God comes out, And the word of God, somebody right now may be getting rebuked by the word of God, but nobody knows it, you're playing it cool, you're you're chill there, nobody knows what's going on, so it doesn't feel so offensive to get rebuked by the word of God when you're studying it privately or in a group setting. But if somebody rebukes you, you know, at work or at school because of repeated, repeated, repeated bad behavior, that really stings. I won't ask for a show of hands, but if you've ever been rebuked or reprimanded, you know, in a group kind of setting, which is a bad way to do it, but it happens, it doesn't feel so good. So, now we're going to take it up to the next level. Are you really ready to grow up? Uh, Well, more of you. Okay, praise God. You took the rebuke of the word and you moved up to the next level. This level, I'll be honest with you, uh, very sincere about this, very few Americans can handle this next level. Uh, You might not know this, but Christianity and the word of God is actually an Eastern book. It's, written, it's an Eastern book, and we have a Western mindset. You got that? Eastern, Western. In the Eastern culture, 
submission to authority and lines of authority and respect for authority is much stronger in the Eastern culture than is in a Western culture. In our Western culture, we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and don't you tell me what to do and I'm, I'm captain of my ship, I'll do what I want, you know, you know all that. We've all felt, you know, we're, we're, we're in charge, nobody will tell me what to do. But the Eastern mindset's a little different. Now here, if you can master this, the sky's the limit for you in growing in God. If you can take this, it's to infinity and beyond, okay? That little line out of, which by the way, I'm sad to say this, is about the hundredth time I heard that, I went, oh, I get it. I really didn't get it at first, to infinity and beyond. And some of you are saying, what's there to get? You'll get it someday, to infinity and beyond, okay? So, Paul's starting out with Timothy with this charge. I mean, it's not a, hey, Timothy, here's something I strongly recommend. Listen to the setup of what he's getting ready to tell him. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. You feel the weight of that? Preach the word. We go, okay, I like that. Be prepared. In season, out of season. Most of us don't go as far as we could like because we won't prepare for it. You know, we're just kind of going to dial it in, phone it in, whatever. We get to a certain level and say, oh, this is good enough. Never feel that way in the kingdom. That's, that's good enough. No, let's keep growing. Let's keep growing. Be prepared in season and out of season. So we're all okay with that. Then he says, Timothy, here's what I want you to do as a good minister. Correct people. Rebuke people. Encourage people. We like the encouragement part. With great patience. Timothy's to be, have great patience with this and with careful instruction. It's been my experience as a pastor for now, I lost track of time, three, 30 years or whatever, that very few people can even handle a gentle correction. Very few people can handle I mean, it's, it's, I'm serious about this. You give somebody a gentle correction that you have to do personally. By the way, I really believe in this theory. You praise publicly and you correct privately. And so you can be in a private setting and nobody's watching, you're not embarrassing in front of people, and you give them a correction, very few people can handle that. And in fact, it's been my experience that about eight, nine out of ten people who loved the church and loved you two weeks ago now have heard from God that it's time to move on to another church. Isn't that interesting? I mean, two weeks before, it's like, man, this is where God put us. We're with you forever. You correct them. You know, we just kind of heard from the Lord. It's kind of time to move on now. I think we're going to be moving on. Okay. Well, there is a time sometimes that God replants or redirects people. Absolutely, 100%. But if it's following immediately after a correction, you might want to pause and think, hmm, what's going on here? But very few people could handle rebuke. Very few people could handle rebuke. People don't want to be, I don't want to be rebuked, do you? No. Correction, okay, rebuke, no. We had somebody call us up many, many, many years ago. You won't know who it is, so don't, you know, I know our curious minds are, I wonder who that was, okay? And so they call up and they want to talk to me and Darlene. They said, hey, I want to share with you what's going on in my life, but I don't want you to judge me. Okay. That's always interesting. So what was happening was this person was having an affair with their married boss and had been having it, was having it, and planned to continue to have it. But they didn't want to be judged. Well, first of all, the world knows one verse, judge not yet lest you be judged. But the Bible says we are called to judge things. We are called into righteous judgment, not into judgmentalism, but into righteous judgment. I didn't know how to just look at Darlene couldn't just look at her and say, hey, sounds good to me. You know, it's all good. You know, we support you in this. We, we love you. No, you, you have to have a correction and a reprimand. 
No one likes a reprimand. Then look what it says. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. So here's how, how it looks. Me and you, all of us, we all got to watch. It. I always want to encourage you. Always apply the word of God to yourself. So what happens is there's some people who just totally reject Jesus and Christianity because they don't line up with how they want to live and do life. You got that? So throw it away. But other people have been raised in the Lord and, and they have an affinity towards God and, towards, of course, they want to go to heaven. And, but, but they have this pull to live life fleshly or carnally or sinfully and, and as a lifestyle. And they go, wow, this doesn't line up with the word of God. So what they have to do is they have to round up teachers, as many of them as they can, that will teach them it's okay. I mean, that, that stuff that you hear preached all your life is just stuff. That it, it was fine, you know, in bygone days, but we're, we're modern people. You know, we got, it's a different world. It's all this and that. And all of a sudden, they heap up teachers to themselves so they can, oh, now I feel good about not wanting to leave Jesus, but wanting to live after myself and my desires instead of the word of God. Well, don't buy into that, because here the scripture says, watch out, because there'll be some people who'll get in that mode. I'm just going to find people who believe what I believe. The most powerful way to go to the word of God is go to the word of God and say, what's the word believe, not what I believe? I see it all the time. I see brilliant Bible teachers who have a pet doctrine that I think is wrong from Scripture. And when they teach on their pet doctrine, they are like, they all of a sudden, I'm serious, they become idiots with the Scripture. They can't, they're just, and I go, oh my goodness, you are so brilliant. I've heard you teach so many wonderful things. But yeah, but I have this little pet doctrine here, and now I have to make it fit. And it doesn't fit because it's not accurate. So you go to the Word of God with an open heart and say, what does the word teach? Not how can I make the word of God prove what I already believe? Are you with me? Okay, here's Titus. Titus is, if you, if you read First and Second Timothy and then read Titus, you'll think it's just a repeat because he's training a young minister. He tells Titus in Titus chapter 2, here's some things I want you to teach. And then he says, these then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority and don't let anyone despise you. If you can get to a place where you can actually receive a rebuke, uh, a reprimand and not fall apart, uh, you can grow. Now, I notice that people will do that in their jobs sometimes if they make really good money. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, I didn't like that and I want to go somewhere else and I may actually start looking for another job, but till then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it because it's so valuable for me to have this job. Well, it is so valuable for you to grow in Jesus. So here's our assignment for the week. Develop a steady diet of the Word of God. So simple to do in our culture. If, even if your person says, I don't do technology, well, go down to the local Christian bookstore and you can find all kinds of books that will be devotional books or Bible study books or maybe there's a particular topic that you want to grow in. And if you find that book and it's a Christian book, there'll be lots of scriptures to teach you how to deal with that. And you just get the steady input, the steady diet of the Word of God a little every day and just think on it, ponder it, and then go to number two, start doing the Word of God, not just hearing it. It's not more information we need, it's more application. I love information, but information without application just falls short and causes no transformation. So we start doing the Word of God, not just hearing it. Third thing is allow the Word of God to correct you. So as you're, as you're sitting here, you know, maybe you have an offense at somebody at work, and you say, I hate them, and... Uh, 
I don't want to have anything to do with them. And, and Lord, if you took them out tonight, that'd be fine with me. Just make it painful. Uh, don't, want, don't want them to die in their sleep. I want it to be painful. You know, and then you're studying the Word of God, and you start reading the Word of God, and you come across a story where this guy was millions and millions of dollars in debt, and he went to somebody and begged for forgiveness, and the guy forgave him all of his debt and set him free. But then this other guy had somebody that owed him 10 bucks, and he wouldn't forgive him. And he threw him into debtor's prison for the $10. And you read that, what should happen? You should say, oh my God, you're forgiving me millions. Millions and millions. And I can't forgive somebody who hurt my feelings at work or school. Lord, right now, in Jesus' name, I don't even feel like it, but I'm going to do it because I'm going to humbly accept the word of God, which can save me. I, I forgive them. I bless them. Now, if you don't do that, you'll say, well, that, that, that don't pertain to me. Yes, it does. The word of God's living and alive. It pertains to you. God's trying to speak to you through the word. So you allow the word of God to correct you. Then the fourth thing is you permit trusted believers to speak into your life. It doesn't have to be your pastor or Sunday school teacher. It can be. But some trusted believers who can, who can say, hold it, what you're doing is wrong. And, and really, as we develop relationships, people can give us a little tweak of correction, which is much less painful than a rebuke. So permit trusted believers to speak into your life. When we do these things, we grow. We grow in the knowledge of God. We understand God better. We start applying the word of God. All of a sudden, we get blessed in our deeds. We start growing. So let's put these things into practice.